Welcome to Health Trust Candid Conversations. This is a conversation series where we highlight physicians, clinicians, and supply chain leaders who are innovating, caring for those in need, and working to improve human life. In this episode, I talk to Health Trust Physician Advisor, Dr. James Brophy. Dr. Brophy is an orthopedic surgeon and spine care service line medical director at Scripps Health in San Diego, California. Dr. Brophy was integral in creating a formulary plan that included physician feedback, supplier input, and top-down health system support. This is an episode about collaboration, process improvement, and commitment to cost-effective care. Dr. Brophy is a leader that believes physicians need to collaborate on value analysis and commit to the design and implementation of improved processes. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So I'm Dr. James Bruffy. I'm one of the spine surgeons with uh, within the Scripps Health System. Uh, I work for the Scripps Clinical. I'm sorry, the Scripps Clinic Medical Group. So it's one of the. It's a large multi-specialty uh, group that works with Scripps Health, or we're one of the many physician groups that work within the Scripps System. Uh, we're probably the largest, I think, as well. Um, my role is as a staff surgeon uh, in one of the Scripps hospitals. Uh, I also serve as an associate head for our Department of Orthopedics uh, within the Scripps Clinic Medical Group. And then within the system, I I have the title of uh, uh, Caroline Director for Spine Care uh, within the Scripps Health System. Tell me about Scripps Health, a number of facilities and the community you serve. Sure. So we're – Scripps Health is – a five hospital system and then multiple outpatient facilities uh, within the greater San Diego area. So we serve San Diego County and uh, greater San Diego and Southern California uh, for uh, a broad variety of healthcare needs, I'm sure. Uh, we're, we're, as, our, as a part of the medical group, I, I do my own little part within there, but uh, Scripps Health is overreaching and uh, a large part of the San Diego healthcare uh, one of the largest family uh, healthcare providers. Before we talk about the success you have seen at Scripps, I think it's important to discuss the prior attempts that were less successful. Would you share what was missing from those earlier attempts? Yeah, so I can only reference, you know, my experience within providing, helping the system figure out a way to to help them create a more comprehensive spine care process for supply chain and then within interfacing with the various surgeons within the various hospitals. So uh, we're a large multi-specialty group. We work out of primarily one, now two hospitals within the system. And then there's a large uh, group of private practice physicians that work out of the other uh, four hospitals primarily. So we were trying to figure out a way to create a a synergistic way to interface the surgeons and their needs with the healthcare system and the hospitals and their needs. So I'm not sure we had failures of that. I just think we didn't have a process defined. So um, when I started, uh, we really didn't, when I said this, is, I've been with Scripps Health now for 20 years or Scripps Clinic for over 20 years. Uh, we did, we took care of patients, we did surgeries, and when we needed something to do, provide that care, whether it's instrumentation or drapes or supplies, whatever it might be, we usually asked for them and they were usually available and we got them. And then and obviously we're trying to reduce our cost of the system 
uh, initiated a, a reduction in vendors for spine implants at one point. They decided to go ahead and negotiate with, uh, like about, I think it was about eight vendors at the time. Uh, and they didn't do that necessarily with the physicians being a part of the process, which then created some patient care issues and then just the, the whole, some physician interface issues. So when it came time to kind of look at doing that again, I, I, I will admit that I kind of ingratiated myself into the process because I had some ideas about how it would be done potentially better for both the system and for the physicians. And I will tell you that the, the health system listened to my ideas. And then uh, I got tabbed to be the spine care line director. I, I guess there's, it's a two-edged sword. It's both good and bad, right? You, you offer yourself up to, to do this and they say, yeah, that's a good idea. Now we're going to put you in charge of it too. Uh, and uh, so that was a good thing. So I think what we've created is a very dynamic interface system with the hospitals, with Scripps Health Corporate, and with all of the surgeons across uh, you, all five hospitals, uh, we have a very collaborative group of people now, and, and most importantly, the surgeons are all involved, and, and the process gets them involved. So it's kind of nice. And, and the goal of reducing costs, I think, has been met with some degree of, what's the word, um, a, a fairly systematic approach. I think we've done a good job of meeting the surgeon's needs and our patient's needs uh, maintaining access to technology and improving the technologies and still driving overall cost of care down through implants and supplies. So, Dr. Bruffy, how many surgeons or physicians were involved in this process, the, the spine process? Well, it's hard to give you a number because what I tried to do was involve everyone who was a spine surgeon at one of the Scripps facilities in the process. So we engaged them by phone, we engaged them by email. They were all invited to meetings. So it was an open door policy for um, uh, discussion of structure and discussion of process in terms of how this worked. So I, I would tell you probably at one point or another, 20 to 25 surgeons were involved in some way, shape or form. That's great. So you had good surgeon participation and you've described the alignment necessary. We know that physician or surgeon, executive, leader, supply chain alignment is essential uh, as we speak to value analysis, but sometimes can be ignored. Let's talk about um, how you turned uh, the earlier process that wasn't maybe as inclusive into success at Scripps. Describe your role you mentioned you're the care line director. Can you describe that a little more deeply and the approach that you took to align that group of surgeons with the other leaders within the organization, specifically in supply chain and executive leadership? So when the system went with the idea or the concept, and I know it's been done in multiple places uh, across the country in terms of limiting vendors in order to get lower supply pricing for, you know, orthopedic implants, spine implants, you name it, across the board. That's one strategy for lowering cost of implants, cost of supplies. And so what happens when you do that, if you have, you know, in our system, you have 25 surgeons that are having their own unique, somewhat unique way of looking at problems, and they also have their own set of experiences in terms of what they're used to using to care for their patients. 
you know, so if you have one vendor that you're used to using for a trauma or one that for a degenerative deformity problem, and then all of the sudden, by virtue of the fact that that vendor's now no longer been selected to participate in care at our hospital, it created a, a change in the way the surgeons had to do their practices relatively abruptly. So there were two things that happened. One, the surgeons all you know, basically said, wait a minute, now we have to change our daily practice in a way because we have to use a new set of instruments that we may not be as familiar with, all the nuances of that. And so that created some anxiety among the surgeons there. And then within the system, what it actually did is uh, it had a, in some ways a negative uh, effect on cost because for cases that were now requiring implants or supplies that were no longer on the preferred vendor list, the vendors still had to provide implants if there was a revision situation or you had to add on, let's say the patient needed another surgery for additional problems and you had to use that same, it was better for the patient to use that same instrumentation system. Now the system's forced into essentially paying less price. You know, sure. that because there's no there's no contract now for a reduction in price, and so it, it wasn't as successful as it could have been. So I don't know if that answered the, you know, at least part of the question. But then, so what we did is we said, okay, I went to all the surgeons and said, I think I have a better way of doing this that will allow us to still use what we want to use when we think we need it and maintain access to technology as it improves. And basically, I, I, I just could want myself to reach out to, you know, different providers within the system to vet my idea. And to a personally, I said, yeah, that, if you can achieve that, that's what we'd want. And so I said, well, I need you guys to participate because it's going to require us to, to hold our vendors to a guideline of pricing so that we, they can participate. And what we did is we created a formulary system for implants. So that's essentially what happened. Okay, when you talk about your formulary, can you describe how that was used and how you engaged the physicians and the suppliers and how many of your suppliers opted to not participate? Okay, so yeah, that's so that's so that's the, the, the formulary concept became the genesis of getting physician involvement. So if in spine care, and then you can apply the same thing to total joints and, 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 and it's even easier in total joints, there's a primary knee and a revision knee and a primary hip and a revision hip. In spine, there's pedicle screws and there's cervical interbodies and cervical plates. And so you, you can basically categorize the things that we use to care for our patients from an implant standpoint and basically create a formulary then that, and so what we did is I got with all the, phys, the physicians, I said, okay, do we all agree on these formulary categories for the implants that we use? So that was a collaborative process with the, the physicians. And then we sat down with our supply chain folks and said, okay, now that we've agreed on this formulary design for these implants, you guys have to come up with benchmark pricing for the various categories. So once they came back with pricing, they sat down with the physicians and they said, okay, a pedicle screw should cost $850, whatever, you, whatever the number was. And sure. so what we did is then went to our preferred vendors, the ones that we preferred to work with, and said, Guys, if you want to continue to work with us in the OR, you're going to have to provide these implants within this formulary, formulary category structure at these prices. 
And so what, what it did is allowed the supply chain folks to go, okay, well, this is our target price. This is what we'd like to play, pay for this implant. Whether we have one vendor or seven vendors or 50 vendors, this is what we'd like to play, pay for this implant. And so what you do then is you use your surgeons to then to leverage the vendors to say, okay, if you still want to have my business, be able to work with me in the OR, you have to meet this pricing. So there was a, a lot of surgeon interaction with the various vendors to make sure that they stayed in the game because we wanted to use them. I I was just going to comment. Uh, this is this was very physician led. So as I understand your process, you allow supply chain to supply the benchmarking data for you relative to pricing on your formulary, and then physicians and surgeons were the frontline communicators to the supplier community. Is that right? Well, we did. Well, what we did is we agreed. So our benefit as surgeons was we maintained access to the implant systems, we, it did two things. It maintained access to the implant systems that we preferred, assuming the companies we worked with would meet the formulary pricing. So that's, that's the benefit to the surgeon, right? You can continue to use what you prefer to use in the care of your patients uh, and have that uninterrupted. That's one. Number two, by having an open formulary system, if new technology comes available, let's say a new cervical plate comes out that you like better than what you're using now, if that company will meet the formulary price, then you can then add it to the formulary and use it because you think it has benefit over what you're using now, but it doesn't cost the system anymore. The system becomes vendor agnostic in a way because they're really just looking at the price of a cervical plate. They don't, that we're not, we, our deal with them was we're not going to ask you to pay a premium for a quote unquote better cervical plate we're simply going to say if we think this is better and the vendor will bring it in at formulary, then we can use it. The systems still interface with the vendors because they, they basically submitted the, the RFP out for pricing. They submitted out the formulary and then requested all of the vendors to submit back to them the products that would then go into the various categories on the formulary at that price. We simply were, the, the, the physicians were, were, were helping the process of, with the vendors of saying, listen, we want to keep working with you. Please participate. So your supplier community is very aware of your process and the formulary approach that you've taken. So if new technology is introduced or if a surgeon, yourself or others, want to use new technology, uh, tell me how that works. Do you have the communication with them? Uh, do you uh, direct them to your supply chain leaders? Tell me about that process. New technology, if you want to add the formulary, what's the approach? Sure. Sure. So let's say a surgeon at one of the other hospitals or myself, because it's, all, it's a pretty much um, physician agnostic in that regard, too. Is a, a physician says, okay, there's a new cervical plate from Depew that I'd like to use. Uh, Depew is currently on our formulary, so we say, okay, this this is a cervical plate, do, and then we, so we, we basically either do it by email or set up a meeting by phone or we get together on an evening, and we say, okay, Dr. Smith has requested to, to add this new cervical plate onto the formulary. Do we all agree that it meets the category in the formulary? If that's the answer is yes, and we all think it's reasonable to add it in, um, then we tell supply chain if they will bring in at that price, it's reasonable to add it to the formulary category, and then we can start using it once it's added. That's excellent. So you described the 
a fairly robust value analysis team for this for this Carolina service line. Yeah, so we do it amongst ourselves, and that's so. So there's two ways this happens. There's there's meeting existing, adding things into existing formulary categories at existing pricing, right? And then there's yes. truly new technology or for example, last year when we redid our formula, formulary categorizations, we created some new categories because a lot of the vendors now have implant technology that has surface coatings or surface enhancements or structural enhancements for bone growth that theoretically will reduce the cost of the biologics that we use. So we decided as a physician group that we could would create a new formulary category and create a new pricing for that new formulary category and so now what we have to do is, so we had to, we had to meet for that. So we had to meet with supply chain and say, okay, here's a clinical improvement in functionality of an implant. Theoretically, we want to maintain access to this. It's, it costs more for the vendors to make these than the standard implants. We recognize that there's a value there potentially. So we created a formulary, a new formulary category that had its own pricing. So we, engage the supply chain value analysis team, they have their own set of people that look at that too, to then benchmark those new products, um, the pricing. And then we talked about it with the physician executive leadership to make sure that it met their needs as well. Great. So when you think back, Dr. Bruffy, about your initial engagement from a, a Caroline perspective, and uh, when you proposed this model to your leadership, from that date until you felt you had a strong process in place and you had uh, physician engagement and surgeon alignment with leadership, how, what does that timeline look like? How long do you think that took to stand up that process? Mm. Uh, it took, we had, I, I will tell you that I don't think it really took a long time. I think enough physicians had voiced dissatisfaction with the limited vendor formulary process and there was enough uh, variation in terms of what we were having to do was was approve the request for for example to use somebody that's no longer part of the vendor pool we have to re approve those requests routinely if somebody had a revision case or had to add on to existing surgical treatment uh, constructs um, we were doing that often enough that I think even the, the supply chain folks and the executive team within the supply chain recognized that we needed to come up with a better way. So it didn't take long. I bet you within six months of the proposal for the changes, the physicians were readily willing to engage in developing a new process because they didn't like the old process. And supply chain didn't really like it either at the end of the day. They did it for a while stuck with their contractual relationships, but the whole time we were in the background creating the new structure that then got implemented after the contractual relationship uh, uh, ran out for the for the uh, limited vendor situation. Sure. So but understanding that. Yeah. Okay. So understanding that success in this type of work is a continuum and it's ever evolving and ever changing. Uh, it sounds as though you have reached a level of success in this space. Uh, would you say today that your leadership, the, the facility leadership, the overall organizational leadership 
is happy with the results and are the surgeons happy with the results? Uh, I think the answer to both those questions would be yes. Uh, the physicians certainly, because we we feel like we have a say in how things work now. So, so if you if there's something you would like to use and bring onto formulary, you have a process and a pathway to do that, and it's being listened to. Uh, and we we routinely reengage. So, if, uh, if we we keep physicians aware of the process and where we are in the process of evaluation. Um, I think supply chain and hospital, the hospital executives and the system executives like the fact that we are routinely engaged. We're reaching out to them, uh, and we've we we recognize the goal of lowering the cost of care episode. We 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 understand that, and so I think they like the fact that we are recognizing their mission as well and have made that a part of ours. I'm, I'm interested in how the success was communicated. You were able to drop costs out of the system, uh, so there was success there. Uh, an example, are there other initiatives or were there other projects that the health system was now able to fund or provide as a result of your success um, and your ability to drive costs out of the system? I don't know if we ever – the benefit to the surgeons really was maintenance of access to – the, their preferred implants and ongoing access to new technology as it became available. Um, I think we recognized that the, the system required us to reduce the cost of implants to maintain the viability of the system uh, and to continue to reinvest in the hospitals and new C-arms and you know, whatever we would need to continue to do our work. Um, we never really asked for anything to come back as a direct reinvestment. I know we discussed that, and the, the, the system's been open to that. So I think when there is a specific need, uh, I think all of us feel comfortable going back to either supply chain or uh, the, the hospital executive leadership team and saying, hey, okay, we need this. We've been participatory in the cost savings initiative and continue to do that. And that is an ongoing process. We we continually reevaluate our formulary system uh, every couple of years to look and see where we can drive down additional costs and do formulary redesign. That's an ongoing process every couple of years as well now. Um, but again, uh, it's, there's not been anything where I've seen a direct reinvestment. I think it's a more of a global reinvestment. I haven't seen the direct. Good, good description. So you've described very um, good alignment between the surgeons and the leadership based on the success that you demonstrated has scripts considered appointing care line directors to other service lines yeah i believe i believe our model became the model for the entire system so i think there is a there's a medical care line director for all of the various subspecialty groups. We meet quarterly. With COVID, we haven't been meeting as often. Uh, it's been more of a uh, telephonic and Zoom, more, more like this, more Zoom-related stuff. Um, but uh, there's Caroline directors for now for across the system uh, for all of the different Caroline surgically and uh, by subspecialty. That's great. You mentioned COVID. Let's, let's speak to that a bit. Uh, 
let's talk about how COVID has affected your practice and, and your patients in Southern California. Well, I don't think it's any different than anywhere else. Uh, you know, we, we went into a, a uh, initial uh, kind of uh, shutdown mode because we had to assess what was going to happen to the healthcare system and the hospitals into what was going to be the, the viral, you know, care load to the system, right? So we, we all, you know, we limited elective cases. We did emergent cases only, urgent cases only. Uh, we limited um, direct patient care, um, uh, face-to-face care, and went to a telemedicine platform relatively rapidly. Our system did a great job of rapidly uh, kind of pivoting to telemedicine care, which I found to be actually fairly effective, um, uh, and, the, and the patients liked it. So we did, I think the system did a very nice job of pivoting and saying, okay, we, we're going to limit our, 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 surgical, our, our exposure to patients for the virus until we understand what we're doing. And then we've had a controlled and measured uh, the, the hospital, the physician leadership teams, the hospital executive leadership teams, the system executive leadership teams have done a great job with then this gradual re-engagement of patient care in a measured fashion to meet the, the dynamics of what's really happening out there with the, the viral illness that we're seeing in the pandemic. So you have now been able to resume your elective cases? Yeah, and I think I think we are trying still. With it. It's interesting. I'm a spine surgeon, so I don't think anybody actually elects to have spine surgery. I'm not sure that that's something that I would ever call elective. <laughs> uh, sadly, good, good point. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, what we're trying to do is still be thoughtful about triage, and we're still trying to be thoughtful about patient comorbidity risk when you bring them to the hospital. Frankly, the, the pathways right now for all of the inpatient care um, that we're doing at the hospitals is we're still now we're doing, you know, COVID testing within 24 hours uh, and we're confirming the patients are COVID negative before they come in for elective, quote unquote, elective procedures. Um, I think it's a we and, you know, we're all you know observing precautions. Uh, so I think we've created a very safe environment. Um, and I will tell you, in many ways, I feel safer at the hospital than I do at my grocery store. <laughs> Uh, do you feel like that's been communicated to patients, and did they feel the same way? Have you seen them come back uh, to similar to pre-COVID volumes? Yeah. So yeah, we so we communicate we communicate with our patients the system-wide processes that we put in place and the staff processes we have in place within the hospital and then within the outpatient care settings that we use. Uh, so I think everybody's pretty comfortable there. And um, oh, what was the second part of the question? Um, are you seeing your your volumes similar to your pre-COVID oh, yeah. volumes? So now the answer, that you started? yeah. So, right. So the answer to that is yes. So uh, I think the reality is the, the there was a huge pent up demand. Um, people were at home being miserable, um, and so now we're, we're those people are coming for care. That they feel comfortable coming for care, uh, and so we're we're trying to figure out a way to have the system meet additional demand for essentially the care that had to be postponed uh, while we had to go into shutdown mode because those patients really didn't go away, right? 
Excellent. So, Dr. Bruffy, as we look back on our discussion, and if you were to if you were to give advice or pearls of wisdom, uh, the top two or three things that you would advise others to do as they took a similar approach or endeavored to to accomplish what you've accomplished, what would that advice be? What would the the key uh, nuggets be for for our listeners? Um, well, I think I think um, the first thing, and when I look back at my own experience and path in this, uh, it was that you have to recognize that you have to be engaged in the process. If you don't, in, if you don't commit to being a part of the process, and actually, uh, in a way, saying I want to help design the process because I have a unique set of needs as a surgeon and for the care of my patients, then you will be subjected to what is created for you. And, and I don't think that's how, as a physician, I would want it to be structured. Um, that's what I discovered. That's not what I wanted. I didn't want somebody else to design a process or system that then I worked under. I, I thought it would be better and more collaborative and more beneficial for the physicians and the hospital if I simply said, I am offering up my time and my um, energy to get involved in the process to help its creation, design, implementation, and it, to change it as it needs to be changed as you go forward. Um, I think that's the first thing I would say is you've got to sign, sign up to be engaged and commit to be engaged in the process. So that would be number one. Okay. Number two, you, you have to understand that the goal is to, for the system, is to create cost-effective care. And so that should be something in your mind is that you have to understand that there's a – you have to do this with a, some kind of idea that financially you're, the goal is to create optimization of costs for the episode of care that you're providing. That's excellent. So physician engagement, encouraging physicians to be part of the, part of the plan, part of the solution, and then having an overarching goal of creating cost-effective care. I think that's great. Right. Dr. Bruffy, I know right. others are facing similar challenges and will certainly find value in your process and your lessons learned. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your knowledge and experience. Sure. Thanks for having me and thanks for taking the time to listen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health Trust's Candid Conversations podcast. Please visit healthtrustpg.com backslash the source to listen to more episodes of Candid Conversations.